Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Wednesday, November 22nd episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great um, a lot of great uh, content over there, over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas all approach from a biblical worldview. I will guarantee you, you're going to find something over there to listen to. And there's a real good chance you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. Uh, And I'm not kidding. And I say that because that's what exactly what happened to me. All right. Well, so with it being Wednesday, I mean, continuing through the, continuing through the week, we're going to be going, doing our Bible reading for this morning. And then this evening, we're going to continue on in our study in John chapter 15. So let's go ahead and open up in prayer. We're going to open up with the fourth day morning prayer. It's called true Christianity. Let's pray. Lord of heaven, thy goodness is inexpressible and inconceivable in the works of creation. Thou art almighty. In the dispensations of providence, all wise. In the gospel of grace, all love. And in thy Son thou hast provided for our deliverance from the effects of sin, the justification of our persons, the sanctification of our natures, the perseverance of our souls in the path of life. Though exposed to the terrors of thy law, we have a refuge from the storm. Though compelled to cry unclean, we have a fountain for sin. Though creature cells of emptiness, we have a fullness accessible to all and incapable of reduction. Grant us always to know that to walk with Jesus makes other interests a shadow and a dream. Keep us from intermittent attention to eternal things. Save us from the delusion of those who fail to go far in religion, who are concerned but not converted, who have another heart but not a new one, who have light, zeal, confidence but not Christ. Let us judge our Christianity not only by our dependence upon Jesus, but by our love to him, our conformity to him, our knowledge of him. Give us a religion that is both real and progressive, that holds on its own, on, excuse me, that holds on its way and grows stronger, that lives and works in the spirit, that profits by every correction and is injured by no carnal indulgence. Amen. All right. Morning devotion from Spurgeon's morning and evening. Uh, the text for it comes from Hosea 12:12. 12, 12. Israel served for a wife and for a wife he kept sheep. Speaking of Jacob, how he kept sheep for seven years for the first wife and the second one. Jacob, while expostulating with Laban, thus described his own toil. This twenty years have I been with thee. That which was torn of beasts I brought not unto thee. I bear the loss of it. Of my hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was in the day the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from mine eyes. Even more toilsome than this was the life of our Savior. Here below, 
He watched over all his sheep till he gave in as his last account. Of all those whom thou hast given me, I have lost none. His hair was wet with dew, and his locks with the drops of the night. Sleep departed from his eyes, for all night he was in prayer wrestling for his people. One night Peter must be pleaded for. Anon, another claims his tearful intercession. No shepherd sitting beneath the cold skies, looking up to the stars, could ever utter such complaints, because of the hardness of his toil as Jesus Christ might have brought if he had chosen to do so because of the sternness of his service in order to procure his spouse. Cold mountains and the midnight air witnessed the fervor of his prayer. The desert his temptations knew, his conflict, and his victory too. It is sweet to dwell upon the spiritual parallel of Laban having required all the sheep at Jacob's hand if they were torn of beasts. Jacob must make it good. If any of them died, he must stand as surety for the whole. Was not the toil of Jesus for his church the toil of one who was under suretyship obligations to bring every believing one safe to the hand of him who had committed them to his charge? Look upon toiling Jacob, and you see a representation of him of whom we read, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. Wow, honestly, I'd never thought of it that way, but that, that was awesome. Like Spurgeon does, he is just awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Again, any of the Spurgeon you can read, please do. I know sometimes his language is a little tougher to read because it's 19th century English, but it's definitely worth your while. All right, so our reading for today is Ezekiel 44 through Ezekiel 45, verse 12, 1 Peter 1, the first 12 verses, Psalm 119, 17 through 32. So the third and fourth stanzas of Psalm 119. Proverbs, and finally Proverbs 28, verses 8 through 10. So Ezekiel 44. Then he brought me back by the way of the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces the east, and it was shut. Yahweh said to me, This gate shall be shut. It shall not be opened, and no one shall enter by it. For Yahweh, the God of Israel, has entered by it. Therefore it shall be shut. <clears throat> as for the prince, he shall sit in it as prince to eat bread before Yahweh. He shall enter by way of the porch of the gate, and shall go, shall go out by the same way. Then he brought me by way of the north gate to the front of the house. And I looked, and behold, the glory of Yahweh filled the house of Yahweh, and I fell on my face. Then Yahweh said to me, Son of man, set your heart on, and see with your eyes, and hear with your ears all that I say to you concerning all the statutes of the house of Yahweh, and concerning all its laws and set your heart on the entrance of the house with all exits of the sanctuary. And you shall say to the rebellious ones, to the house of Israel, Thus says Lord Yahweh, Enough of all your abominations, O house of Israel. When you brought in foreigners, uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh, to be in my sanctuary to profane it, even my house, when you brought near my food, the fat and the blood, so they made my covenant void, this in addition to all your abominations. And you have not kept the responsibility of my holy things yourselves, but you have set foreigners as keepers of the responsibility given by me for my sanctuary. Thus says Lord Yahweh, No foreigner, uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh, of all the foreigners who are among the sons of Israel, shall enter my sanctuary. But the Levites who went far from me when Israel went astray, who went astray from me after their idols, shall bear the punishment for their iniquity. Yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary, having oversight at the gates of the house and ministering in the house. They shall slaughter the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people, 
and they shall stand before them to minister to them. Because they ministered to them before their idols, and became a stumbling block of iniquity to the house of Israel. Therefore I have sworn against them, declares Lord Yahweh, that they shall bear the punishment for their iniquity. And they shall not approach me to minister as a priest to me, nor approach any of my holy things, to the things that are most holy, but they will bear their dishonor and their abominations which they have done. Yet I will appoint them as keepers of the responsibility for the house, of all its service, and of all that shall be done in it. But the Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, who kept the responsibility of my sanctuary, when the sons of Israel went astray from me, shall come near to me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to bring near to me the fat and the blood, declares Lord Yahweh. They shall enter my sanctuary, they shall come near to my table to minister to me, and keep the responsibility given by me. And it will be that when they enter at the gates of the inner court, they shall be clothed with linen garments, and wool shall not be on them while they are ministering in the gates of the inner court and in the house. Linen headdresses shall be on their heads, and linen undergarments shall be on their loins. They shall not gird themselves with anything which makes them sweat. And when they go out into the outer court, into the outer court to the people, they shall put off their garments in which they have been ministering, and lay them in the holy chambers. Then they shall put on other garments, so that they will not transmit holiness to the people with their garments. Also, they shall not shave their heads, yet they shall not let their locks grow long. They shall only trim the hair of their heads. Nor shall any of the priests drink wine when they enter the inner court. And they shall not take a widow or a divorced woman as a wife, but shall take virgins from the seed of the house of Israel, or a widow who is a widow of a priest. Moreover, they shall instruct my people about the difference between the holy and the profane, and make them know the difference between the unclean and the clean. And in a dispute they shall take their stand to judge. They shall judge it according to my judgments. They shall also keep my laws and my statutes in all my appointed times, and keep my Sabbaths holy. But they shall not go to a dead person to make themselves unclean. However, for father, for mother, for son, for daughter, for brother, or for a sister who has not had a husband, they may make themselves unclean. And after he is cleansed seven days, shall be counted for him. And on the day that he goes into the sanctuary, into the inner court, to minister in the sanctuary, he shall bring near his sin offering, declares Lord Yahweh. And it shall be with regard to an inheritance for them, that I am their inheritance, and you shall give them no possession in Israel. I am their possession." They shall eat the grain offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering, and every devoted thing in Israel shall be theirs. And the first of all the firstfruits of every kind, and every contribution of every kind, from all your contributions shall be for the priests. You shall also give to the priests the first of your dough, to cause a blessing to rest on your house. The priest shall not eat any bird or beast that has died of itself, or has been torn to pieces. Ezekiel 45, first 12 verses. And when you divide by lot the land for inheritance, you shall offer a contribution to Yahweh, a holy portion of the land. The length shall be the length of 25,000 cubits, and the width shall be 20,000. It shall be holy within all its boundary round about. Out of this there shall be for the holy place a square round about 500 by 500 cubits, and 50 cubits for its open space round about. And from this area you shall measure a length of 25,000 cubits and a width of 10,000 cubits, and in it shall be the sanctuary, the holy of holies. It shall be the holy portion of the land. It shall be for the priests, the ministers of the sanctuary, who come near to minister to Yahweh. 
and it shall be a place for their houses, and a holy place for the sanctuary, and an area twenty-five thousand cubits in length, and ten thousand in width shall be for the Levites, the ministers of the house, and for their possession as cities to dwell in. And you shall give the city possession of an area five thousand cubits wide, and twenty-five thousand cubits long, alongside the contribution of the holy portion. It shall be for the whole house of Israel." Now the prince shall have land on either side of the holy contribution, and the city's possession of land adjacent to the holy contribution, and the city's possession of land on the west side toward the west, and on the east side toward the east, and in length com comparable to one of the portions, from the west border to the east border. This shall be his land for a possession in Israel. So my princes shall no longer mistreat my people, but they shall give the rest of the land to the house of Israel according to their tribes. Thus says Lord Yahweh, Enough, you princes of Israel, put away violence and devastation, and do justice and righteousness. Stop your eviction of my people, declares Lord Yahweh. You shall have just balances, a just ephah, and a just bath. The ephah and the bath shall be the same quantity, so that the bath will contain a tenth of a homer, and the ephah a tenth of a homer. Their standard shall be according to the homer. And the shekel shall be twenty giras, twenty shekels, twenty-five shekels, and fifteen shekels shall be your maneh. I don't know if I pronounced that right. M-A-N-E-H. All right, First Peter 1, first 12 verses. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as exiles scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to the obedience of Jesus Christ, and the sprinkling of his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, having been kept in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, inquiring to know what time or what kind of time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he was predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been declared to you through those who proclaim the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. All right, Psalm, verses, Psalm 119, verses 17 through 32. Deal bountifully with your slave, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wonderful things from your law. I am a sojourner in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul is crushed with longing for your judgments at all times. You rebuke the arrogant, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. Take away reproach and contempt from me, for I observe your testimonies. Even though princes sit and talk against me, your slave muses on your statutes. 
Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I have recounted my ways, and you have answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, so I will muse on your wondrous deeds. My soul weeps because of grief. Raise me up according to your word. Remove the false way from me, and graciously grant me your law. I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your judgments before me. I cling to your testimonies. O Yahweh, do not put me to shame. I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. And finally, Proverbs 28, verses 8-10. through 10. He who increases his wealth by interest and usury gathers it for him who is gracious to the lowly. He who turns away his ear from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. He who leads the upright astray in an evil way will himself fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit good. All right, well, that is our reading for today. Thank you for spending this time with me again. I, I very much pray that this time together helps to keep you saturated in the word of God. I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore, implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out with a prayer. This one is called Morning from Valley of Vision. Let's pray. Compassionate Lord, thy mercies have brought me to the dawn of another day. Vain will be its gift unless I grow in grace, increase in knowledge, ripen for spiritual harvest. Let me this day know thee as thou art, love thee supremely, serve thee wholly, admire thee fully. Though gra through grace let my... Let my will respond to thee, knowing that power to obey is not in me, but that thy free love alone enables me to serve thee. Here then is my empty heart. Overflow it with thy choicest gifts. Here is my blind understanding. Chase away its mists of ignorance. O ever watchful shepherd, lead, guide, tend me this day. Without thy restraining rod I err and stray. Hedge up my path, lest I wander unto into unwholesome pleasure, and drink its poisonous streams. Direct my feet, that I be not entangled in Satan's secret snares, nor fall into his hidden traps. Defend me from assailing foes, from evil circumstances, from myself. My adversaries are part and parcel of my nature. They cling to me as my very skin. I cannot escape their contact. In my rising up and sitting down, they barnacle me. They entice with constant baits. My enemy is within the citadel. Come with almighty power and cast him out, pierce him to death, and abolish in me every particle of carnal life this day. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Wednesday, November 22nd episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, well, we're going to be continuing on in our study of John chapter 15 this evening. Uh, so let's go ahead and let's just jump right into it. The prayer we're going to open up with is called a minister's praises. And again, like I've said repeatedly, we are all called to be ministers of the gospel. So this applies to you as well. Or you and me, I should say, you and, you and me. All right, let's pray. Oh God, my exceeding joy, 
singing thy praises uplifts my heart, for thou art a fountain of delight, and dost bless the soul that joys in thee. But because of my heart's rebellion, I cannot always praise thee as I ought. Yet I will at all times rest myself in thy excellences, goodness, and loving kindness. Thou art in Jesus the object of inexpressible joy, and I take exceeding pleasure in the thought of thee. But, Lord, I am sometimes thy enemy. My nature revolts and wanders from thee. Though thou hast renewed me, yet evil corruptions urge me still to oppose thee. Help me to extol thee with entire heart submission, to be diligent in self-examination, to ask myself whether I am truly born again, whether my spirit is the spirit of thy children, whether my griefs are those that tear repenting hearts, whether my joys are the joys of faith, whether my confidence in Christ works by love and purifies the soul. Give me the sweet results of faith in my secret character and in my public life. Cast cords of love around my heart, then hold me and never let me go. May the Savior's wound sway me more than the scepter of princes. Let me love thee in a love that covers and swallows up all, that I may not violate my chaste union with the Beloved. There is much unconquered territory in my nature. Scourge out the buyers and sellers of my soul's temple, and give me in return pure desires and longings after perfect holiness. Amen. All right, in the evening devotion for this evening, for from Spurgeon's morning and evening, the text for it is from, from Philippians 3.10, the power of his resurrection. The doctrine of a risen sa Savior is exceedingly precious. The resurrection is the cornerstone of the entire building of Christianity. It is the keystone of the arch of our salvation. It would take a volume to set forth all the streams of living water which flow from this one sacred source, the resurrection of our dear Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But to know that he has risen, and to have fellowship with him as such, communing with the risen Savior by possessing a risen life, seeing him leave the tomb by leaving the tomb of worldliness ourselves, this is even still more precious. The doctrine is the basis of the experience, but as the flower is more lovely than the root, so is the experience of fellowship with the risen Savior more lovely than the doctrine itself. I would have you believe that Christ rose from the dead so as to sing of it and derive all the consolation which it is possible for you to extract from this well-ascertained and well-witnessed fact. But I beseech you, rest not contented even there. Though you cannot, like the disciples, see him visibly, yet I bid you aspire to see Christ Jesus by the eye of faith, and, th and though, like Mary Magdalene, you may not touch him, yet may you be privileged to converse with him, and to know that he is risen, you yourselves being risen in him to newness of life, to know a crucified Savior as having crucified, as, as having crucified all my sins is a high degree of knowledge. But to know a risen Savior as having justified me, and to realize that he has bestowed upon me new life, having given me to be a new creature through his own newness of life, this is a noble style of experience. Experience, excuse me. Short of it, none ought to rest satisfied. May you both know him and the power of his resurrection. Why should souls who are quickened with Jesus wear the grave clothes of worldliness and unbelief? Rise, for the Lord is risen. All right. Well, again, like I said, we're getting back in, or we're in our study of John chapter 15. So, um, again, this is, this is kind of the, the culmination of our hated by the world section, this verse 17 through 25. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and read that and then we're going to just dive right in. Okay. So John 15 verse 17, 
This I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned, but now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But this happened to fulfill the word that is written in the law. They hated me without cause. So, like we've talked about, okay, you know, um, this is the upper room discourse still. Um, they're still in the upper room. It's the 11 that are left because Judas has left. Um, again, these guys' lives are falling apart. <laughs> they're completely at a loss because they don't understand um, they know Jesus is the Messiah, but they've got a misunderstanding of, of, of what that means. Um, not, not necessarily in the specifics, but in a general sense, they think of him as an earthly savior, not a heavenly savior. And he's a heavenly sp savior, a spiritual savior. That's what it's about. Um, so that that's leaving them a, a little bit befuddled about this whole thing. But so we got into chapter 15 and we see him trying to, trying to educate them, trying to guide them, trying to build them up and prepare them and strengthen their faith to handle what's coming as him, he's arrested and then killed so that they're ready to move forward with the ministry after he's resurrected and the Holy Spirit indwells them. So again, we went through the analogies in the beginning of chapter 15 of the vine and the branches. And then, um, we spoke through verses 12 through 16 about the friends of Jesus, that the friends of Jesus love each other, that they obey him, that they know divine truth and that they have been specially chosen by him. But then we came into the section about hated by the world and it makes sense. Okay. So he's talking about if you're friends of Jesus, here are the things, but then it's also the fact that if you're friends of Jesus, you're going to be hated by the world. I mean, he's trying to be clear with them. He's trying to keep them from being surprised. I mean, because if they thought, and, and that's part of their thing is, you know, he's going to take over. He's going to run out the Romans. You know, everything's going to be hunky dory. That's not what he's saying that, that honestly, that's like the prosperity gospel nowadays that they say, you know, if your faith is strong enough, you can just ask God and he's going to give you, you know, he's going to give you the new BMW and the, you know, on and on and on. And that's not it. You're always going to be healthy. You'll never have cancer. You'll, you know, it, it's, it's all garbage, obviously, but, but that's the thing. I mean, they were, they were, <laughs> they were a little confused that way. That's how they thought this was going. But again, like I said, he was their spiritual savior. It was about saving their eternal life, not about saving their physical life. I mean, the scriptures are clear. It is given for man to die once and that once and then judgment. So we're all going to die physically. I mean, he, he wasn't going to make this magical thing happen where everything was going to be, like I said, hunky dory as goofy as phrases that is, but, but it wasn't always going to be unicorns and rainbows. That's, that wasn't the point. He's being clear. You're going to be hated. Now, of course he leads this in with verse 17, this, I commanded, command you that you love one another. 
And, and he's stating that to be clear with them. And he's already actually said it already spoken about them loving each other um, back in verses 12 and 13. And he said this to them before that they need to love each other because they need to support each other. He's trying to be clear. They need to be supporting each other because this is going to be tough. But as we got into this hated by the world section, these first three verses, first we saw in verses 18a and 19 that the world rejects those who are not part of it. Again, I spoke of, actually I was talking to my wife about this the other last night, I believe, you know, the, it's the fact that we are alien to them. We are alien to them because we're not part of them anymore. We don't resemble them. At least we're not supposed to. That's, that's the problem. If we still look like the world, then we've got to question our salvation and we got to question our walk because our walk is clearly not to look like the world. I, that, that is actually key. Um, if you don't know the book of Ephesians, you know, it's broken up into three chapters of position, your position in Christ because of his person and works. And the last three chapters are your practice, your, your life, your walk, what that should look like. And, and chapter four starts out with the worthy walk. And then you go on to see all the parts of the worthy walk, what that should look like. And one of the key parts there in Ephesians four talks about the walk that does not look like the Gentile walk. It does not look like the walk of the world. So if you and I walk, and when I say walk, I'm talking our daily practice, our daily life, living out our lives. If it looks like the rest of the world, then we're not doing it right. And we profess Christ. We're not doing it right. We've got to understand that we are alien to them. So Jesus makes clear in verse 18a and then 19 that the world rejects those who are not part of it because we should not look like part of it. And our churches should not look like part of it, not just we individually, but our churches should not look like part of it. If we're spending time in our churches trying to tell everybody, look, we're just like you, we are making a mistake. That is not where we belong. We are sinning. So the second part of it that we dealt with last night was that the world hates believers because it hated Jesus Christ. That's 18b and 20. So we saw that. And it's very, very clear. I mean, he's our master. Um, we begin to look like him. He, he shapes us to look like him. If they go after him, they're going to go after us. So we dealt with that. And we talked about that last night. So our closing part to this is verses 21 through 25. And the title for it is that the world... <clears throat> excuse me, the world hates believers because it does not know God. Okay. So let me read verse 21 through 25 again, and then we'll dig in. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned, but now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But this happened to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without cause. Give me just a second. I need some water. So again, the world hates believers because it does not know God. <clears throat> Let's be clear. I've, I've, I've pointed this out to you before in other verses, the no, the, the word no here, even that, that MacArthur is using here in this title, the world hates believers because it does not know God. And in that's making a reference to here in verse 21, but all these things, which they, they do to you for my namesake, 
because they do not know the one who sent me that no. And this is what MacArthur is referring to that. No, that is the intimate. No, the intimate, no intimate knowing of the one who sent him of God. That's God. So what Jesus is saying there is, but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not intimately know God. Let's be clear. If we have a true saving faith, then the point of that is developing a, 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 an intimate knowledge of God, having a true intimate knowledge of God. The person that doesn't have an intimate knowledge of God is not saved. Okay. And that's what he's saying there is they're going to do this to you. And they're going to do it in my namesake. They're going to do it in Christ's namesake because they don't know God. Uh, Matthew 5, 11. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Again, they're going to do these things to, to us. Matthew 24, 9. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Now, I'm not necessarily saying they're going to run around killing us, at least not yet. In this country, though, there are some Christians out there that have to hide and some that have been killed. Again, we talked about the persecution. We talked about that, um, how bad it has been. And, and I forget how many of 70 million um, have been have been killed for their profession of faith. You know, and two thirds of that has happened since the beginning of the 20th century. Wasn't that a stat I gave you? What, Monday? Yeah. So they will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Hated by all nations. We cannot be surprised by that. Because like I said, we're alien to them. We reveal their evilness. We are to be light in the world. And that light reveals the darkness, reveals the evil. Uh, Jesus says this to Ananias about Paul, Acts 9.16. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Again, we, we, we may suffer. We actually were expected to suffer. If Christ suffered, we're going to suffer. Again, that was from our previous one. World hates believers because it hated Jesus Christ. So he suffered. We're going to suffer. We have to expect that. We, 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 we take on imitation of him in having eternal life. So we have to take on the trials and tribulations too. We get both. 1 Peter 4.14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Romans 8.7, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. The mindset on the flesh, that's the world. That's the world. Don't, don't misunderstand that. The mindset on the flesh is the world. You can either have the mindset on God or the mindset on the flesh. There is no in-between. So for all those out there that are not saved, they are hostile towards God. They are at enmity with God and enmity with anything associated with God, including his son and including you and me. That's what Jesus is saying to them is don't think because you were my disciples, this is going to be all, all great and glory. I mean, because please understand in their system, um, as a, as a, as a teacher, as a rabbi became great and, and better known and, and huge reputation there, the disciples by being associated with that rabbi would gain reputation and, and people would show deference to them. Jesus is making clear that's not going to happen here. And, and that's okay. That's expected because they don't know God, but you do it's, you know, he's saying, because they do not know the one who sent me. 
But what he's also implying is, but you do. And then he goes on to disparage them. I, well, I, I don't know disparage, but he goes on to make clear um, their, their curse. I mean, and I'm not saying he cursed them, but they've cursed themselves. Verse 22, if I have not, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He's basically saying if the gospel had not come to him, had, had not come to them, then they would, he's not saying they wouldn't ever have sinned. But what he's trying to say, if he had not come and spoken to them, they would not have that sin, the unpardonable sin. That's what he's talking about. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He's brought them the gospel. And he's brought them the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. And they have disparaged his name and disparaged the Holy Spirit through their behavior. This is the religious elite. Therefore, they have committed the unpardonable sin. Again, I've said it before. I wouldn't guarantee that the entirety of the Sanhedrin, this, the Jewish le religious leadership, was, was damned. But many, many were because they had committed the unpardonable sin. That's the unpardonable sin to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying they've done. He's brought them the gospel. He's shown it them it clearly in the Holy Spirit. He has spoken as no one had spoken to them before. He had spoken to them as the son of God and they've blasphemed him. And he makes clear here at the end. He who hates me, so no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. Making clear that if you hate Jesus, you hate God. And he's trying to make this make this clear to them. But he's also saying, if you love me, you love my father. He said that before. There's, it, it's, in, it's saying one and inferring the other to these guys. So it's giving them the strength, but it's making very, very clear. This is where these people are. So you cannot be surprised that this is coming. And please understand, there are so many people that want to try to throw all kinds of shades and gray in there. There isn't. Either you love Jesus and you love God, or you hate Jesus and you hate God. There's no neutral ground. There's no DMZ for you to hang out in. Okay. Then he goes on in verse 24. If I had not done among them the works, which no one else did, they would not have not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. Again, this is them. And again, the sin he's speaking of is the unpardonable sin. He has come and done the works. He has come and done the miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit. And they've seen them. They've witnessed them. It's not just that they've been related to them. I've told you that before. Some of them they had just had told to them, but some of them they actually saw. And these things that clearly nobody else had done. Again, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did. Again, these were things that they knew clearly that nobody but somebody directly sent by God could do. And they turned around and said, well, you're just doing them by the power of Satan, or you're just doing them by the power of Beelzebul or, or whatever. They're blaspheming the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit working in him that makes these possible. Okay. And he's very, very blunt because of that. If, if, if they had not seen those things, they would not have sin. And, and, and in this case, it's if they had not seen or heard of, if these things had not been done among them, then they would not have sin. But they've both seen and hated him and thus God as well. 
they're damned. They're damned. And, and at this point, they're reprobate. And when I say reprobate, I mean they are damned permanently. They are at a point of being unsavable. I'm not saying God can't do something. But what I am saying at this point, at this point, they have hardened their hearts enough to the point where God has hardened their hearts. He's turned around and say, you're done. I've hardened your heart as he did with Pharaoh. And that's what we're seeing here. You know, Jesus has spoken to them God's word and shown them clearly that he's the son of the son of God. Again, we talked about that. The scriptures testified of him. The scriptures testified of him. He showed them clearly that he met every requirement of being the son of God, the Messiah. And they blasphemed. And he had done miracles among them. Again, miracles that made absolutely clear that he is the son of God, the Messiah. There is no question Yet they blasphemed him. Those that will not acknowledge that and thus manifest hatred towards Jesus show clearly that they do not know God. They don't know him intimately. They are actually showing that they hate God. And that's what he's being clear. That we talked, hated by the world. That's why they hated Jesus. That's why they hate us. Because we are alien to them. Because they hate God and they hate the things of God. And that's us. We are his adopted sons and daughters. Of course he's going to hate. They're going to hate us. Doesn't change the fact that they're our mission field. Nor again, should it make us scary. I know it's a little scary, but it shouldn't be. No matter what comes. He's meant it for our good. For those who would believe. Whatever trials and tribulations we face. They're meant for our good. They're meant to sharpen us and shape us. Doesn't mean it won't be hard. Please, please believe me. I'm not trying to minimize any of that. It's going to be tough. But we have to expect them to hate us. And they do because they don't know God. But that is our responsibility. We're to bring the gospel to them. And again, like I spoke of last night. Um, there are way too many of us out there that pro profess to be Christians that don't take the gospel. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. Actually, it's coming up in a couple of nights. Um, I, I'm sorry. I was writing up notes last night about it. Um, there are way too many of us out there that claim to be Christians and all we are are pew sitters. We all have a ministry. We are all called to take this, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. They're our mission field. They hate us because they don't know God. Well, let's let them know God. Let's take it to them. And of course, Jesus closes this out with verse 25. But this happened to fulfill the word that is written in the law. They hated me without cause. This is Jesus quoting. There's two different Davidic Psalms where David made, makes clear. They hated me without cause. Again, there were many that hated David. In his time as king, they hated him. I mean, including his son, Absalom, <laughs> you know, they hated him. He had done nothing, but I'm sorry. Absalom was silver spoon, you know, ad nauseum. I mean, it, it was ridiculous that he hated his father so much that he wanted to kill him and take over the throne. It wasn't about just give me power. It, it was, I, I mean, otherwise, why do you kill your father off? I mean, he, he was a monster. Um, and he was a monster of David's making, don't get me wrong. But again, 
They hated him without cause. And again, like we've talked about, David is a type of Christ. David was a foreshadowing of Christ. Um, so they hated me without cause. There's David actually speaking prophetically, whether intentionally or not, because they hated Jesus without cause. Again, we have to be very, very clear. He was sins, sinless. He broke no laws in any way, shape, or form. He was not worthy of their hatred. He did not earn their hatred. Fact is, he should have earned, he should have had their love. He should have had their love and their worship. And they didn't. He was hated by the world. And he still is. He still is. We, 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 we cannot be fooled to think that the world will love Jesus Christ. They won't. The gospel is divisive. The, uh, the gospel is not inclusive. It's not. And it's not supposed to be. God doesn't have to be inclusive. He doesn't have to be. That's, that's woke garbage. And God does not have to be inclusive. So we cannot be surprised if the world hates us. But let me be clear to you. And I say this to myself as well. No matter how much the world hates us, we must love it. We must love them. I, I'm not saying all that Gaia worship and all that. We must love them. We must love them enough to bring the gospel to them, no matter what they do to us. That is the examples we've been given over thousands of years of the church. And you and I better step up and meet that example. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this evening. Um, I hope you folks have a great evening. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Um, actually when for, this is the evening for Wednesday and on this evening, I will be, um, we'll be having pie night. We do pie night. We all get together and make pies for the following day. Um, I'll be doing that and I'll be preparing my smoker so I can smoke hams for Thanksgiving as well. And I'm sure my son will be brining a turkey. So, um, and so I'll actually, if you, if you listen to this on Wednesday evening, I'll actually be over at pie night and I'll be playing with my 30, <laughs> with my 31 year old son, but that's okay. And, and my two year old grandson. So, uh, I, I get to go play with my son. Woo. So Trey looking forward to being with you. Um, again, I hope you guys have a great evening and a gr and a great Thanksgiving. I don't have any intention of not recording. I actually have all my notes together. I did it on purpose so I could get, have everything recorded. So we'll continue the Bible study through Friday, even though it is holiday and I am taking the time off. But, um, again, I hope you have a wonderful evening. I hope for those in the, in America, have a, have a great Thanksgiving for you not here in America. Sorry, you don't get to celebrate Thanksgiving. But I do hope you have a wonderful rest of the week, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. We're going to close out with the fourth day evening prayer. It's called God All-Sufficient, and yes, he is. Let's pray. King of glory, divine majesty, every perfection adorns thy nature and sustains thy throne. The heavens and earth are thine. The world is thine and its fullness. Thy power created the universe from nothing. Thy wisdom has managed all its multiple concerns, presiding over nations, families, individuals. Thy goodness is boundless. All creatures wait on thee, are supplied by thee, are satisfied in thee. How precious are the thoughts of thy mercy and grace! How excellent thy loving kindness that draws men to thee! Teach us to place our happiness in thee, the blessed God, 
never seeking life among the dead things of earth, or asking for that which satisfies the deluded. But may we prize the light of thy smile, implore the joy of thy salvation, find our heaven in thee. Thou hast attended to our happiness more than we can do. Though we are fallen creatures, thou hast not neglected us. In love and pity thou hast provided us a Savior. Apply his redemption to our hearts by justifying our persons and sanctifying our natures. We confess our transgressions, have mercy on us. We are weary, give us rest. Ignorant, make us wise unto salvation. Helpless, let thy strength be made perfect in our weakness. Poor and needy, bless us with Christ's unsearchable riches. Perplexed and tempted, let us travel on unchecked, undismayed. Knowing that thou hast said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Blessed be thy name. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless. Thank you.